in our second reading, and in perhaps the hardest parable that Jesus teaches to his disciples, Jesus turns the topic to forgiveness. He shares a story about a community that has been ripped apart by the inability to forgive and implores the disciples to live differently because faith above all is, above, is about relationships with God and with one another. The scripture today is from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Sometimes the versions say seven times 70 as well. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Let's be honest. This is a chilling and disturbing tale of forgiveness. Except it's not a tale, as in a fairy tale. It's what Jesus has commanded of us. The notion is simple, but the carrying out of it is very, very difficult. Without forgiveness, there is no community life, no church, and without our acting, act of forgiving others, we ourselves will not be forgiven by God. I'm going to say that again. Without forgiveness, there is no community life, there is no church, and without our act of forgiving others, we ourselves will not be forgiven by God. Our forgiveness of others is neither optional nor contingent upon anything because God's forgiveness knows no end. And to give us a visual of how significant this forgiveness is, Jesus tells a story about three men. The first man is the king, or in some translations, the Lord. He was owed 10,000 talents by one of his servants, the second man in the story. 
Now, different cultures had different talents, but the talent that scholars believe Jesus would be referring to was set so that one talent equaled 6,000 denarii, or 16 years worth of labor. The man owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is the equivalent of one servant's labor for 160,000 years. Some scholars even place that number higher, at 200,000 years worth of labor. In other words, he would never, never, never be able to pay his master back. It would be physically impossible. Even so, the man pleads with the king and asks to be given more time. But the king goes way beyond giving him more time. He actually forgives the debt completely. He wipes it away. It's gone. After his own miraculous release from his unfathomably large debt, the servant encounters another servant, the third man in the parable, who owes him the comparably tiny amount of 100 denarii, which was less than four months' worth of salary for the worker. Surprisingly, not surprisingly, the man cannot pay. After all, how many of us have four months' worth of work, salary sitting around ready to hand over to someone but the second man who had his own enormous debt, but the first man who had his own enormous debt forgiven will not forgive the debt and will not have mercy upon the debtor and has, has him thrown into prison. Those witnessing this encounter had watched as the king had forgiven the man his enormous debt and they are right to be distressed that now he will not forgive what he is owed or at the very least extend a little grace to the man who owes it and they tell the king about what has happened, and the king is justifiably irate. You see, the king's stupendous act of mercy was not a private matter. It did not impact the first servant alone. It was witnessed by everyone around them, who must have been in awe and shock at what was happening. They must have been confused by the king's unexpected act of generosity and grace. And this act of mercy would have started off a chain reaction with implications for everyone down the pyramid. The king effectively starts a pattern of financial forgiveness. But the servant who was forgiven the enormous debt does not fall into line with the king's grace. He gives no heed to the second servant's plea, although it is word for word what he himself had begged the king, have patience with me and I will repay you the debt. Clearly, God takes forgiveness very seriously. This is part of what we are to take away from this story. Jesus purposefully uses an impossibly high number that the king was owed because he wants us to understand that God's forgiveness is not reasonable. It is not rational. It is not possible for someone to earn that much money just as it is not possible to count the number of times that God forgives us for our inability or our refusal to love ourselves and one another, and our inability or refusal to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Both numbers are too great to comprehend. That is how great God's love and grace is for you and for me and for all of God's creation. Every week we say the Lord's Prayer together. And I wonder, do we really mean it, or has it become rote? 
I know we mean it when we ask God to forgive our debts, but do we mean it when we ask God to help us forgive our debtors? Because I think that sometimes there's a limit to our willingness to forgive. Like, if it's a minor offense, sure, we'll let it go. I'll let the small lies, meanness, and other minor upsets go. But if it's a big offense, boy, watch out. Someone stole your comic book out of your backpack, minor offense. Someone said a white lie, minor offense. But what about this? In September of 2011, this exact gospel reading occurred on the 11th day of the month in the lectionary readings, the day which was the 10th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on the United States, this very text on forgiveness. 2,996 Americans died that day. What do you think Jesus would tell us as Americans to do with the people involved in that atrocity? Is it possible that Jesus would ask us to forgive those who caused it to happen? Or what about the individuals who, it seems, weakly commit horrible atrocities against our children in schools? And the list goes on and on. Every time we want to hate, Jesus would have us remember how often we miss the mark, how often we hurt others, how often we are ambivalent to the needs and hurts of those around us. When Jesus overcame the grave on your behalf and on mine, he freed us from the bonds of sin. And because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, I believe the playing field was leveled. And as a result, I believe there is no sin that is greater than another, and there is no sin that is less than another. Sin is sin is sin. That means there's no spreadsheet somewhere that says, if someone does this to you, you have to forgive. But if someone does that to you, you don't have to. In other words, every time we want to hate, we have to forgive instead. It might not happen instantaneously. In fact, it probably is not going to happen instantaneously. It will be a journey. But if the journey isn't undertaken, it will be our own hearts that will suffer. The process of forgiving is always present in our lives, and it's always present in our relationships. And that's because forgiveness is part and parcel of the kingdom of heaven. It's a constant. Martin Luther King Jr. said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. In other words, it's not optional. It's not a choice. But we want it to be, and that's what is at the heart of Peter's question. How often do I have to forgive? Because we want limits on our forgiveness, but Jesus is saying there are none. For Jesus to tell this parable means that there's a lot at stake here. The challenge, well, it's to not only forgive, but to do it generously, abundantly, extravagantly, and without limit. Not only do we have to forgive, we have to do it a lot. Like Peter, we try to put a number and establish parameters for when and when not to forgive, but forgiveness doesn't work like that. We like to count and keep track, but Jesus wants Peter to stop counting altogether because God does not count or keep track of our sins. 
Jesus wants Peter to stop counting because forgiveness is inherently about relationships, not numbers. And counting and keeping track of sins rips relationships apart. I think that this is the hardest thing Jesus has asked of us. It's not really the parable itself, but rather what it means. It means hard work. But ultimately, God is asking us to forgive for not only the good of the recipient, but also for our own good. God understands exactly what happens when forgiveness is withheld. It destroys us. When we do not forgive, it eats us up alive. Perhaps we won't notice it at first because of our righteous anger, but then one day, like an infection that has gotten out of control, we discover that our inability to forgive has festered and it stinks and we're weighed down by our anger and hatred and we feel sick in our soul because we are sick. We're weighed down by the inability to set someone free through the act of releasing the transgression and letting it go. And who are we setting free? Ourselves. Imagine sin as a stain on a carpet and it just keeps growing and growing. Forgiveness is how we wash away that stain on our souls, but the more the stains build up, the harder it is going to be to wash them away. So we need to do it regularly and diligently. Now this scripture is complicated for a couple reasons, and I'm gonna name two of them. First, Peter was told not to count the number of times he forgave another. Does that mean that we need to allow others to continue hurting us? What if there are situations where we feel we should count in order to protect ourselves? What if someone is repeatedly unkind or hurtful, let alone mean-spirited or even violent towards us? Isn't it okay to count the number of times we forgive them? Or are we being told to be someone's punching bag? Hear this. We can forgive without allowing further abuse. In fact, we must forgive without allowing the continuation of the abuse. This story is not to be used to condone others' bad, bad actions. It's not to be used to make people who are hurt by others think that they have to allow the repeated abuse just because they are called to forgive it. We may continue to forgive a parent or partner or child or sibling or friend or stranger who is unkind, unreasonable, or even abusive, but we do not have to remain in that bad situation. I also don't believe that forgiving has to mean forgetting. We can forgive without forgetting. After all, Jesus did tell us to be wise as serpents, which means being aware of times when we need to be cautious of others' continued actions. I personally think that phrase, forgive and forget, does us a disservice. Second, what about those who maybe aren't hurting us, but who aren't asking for forgiveness? Are we supposed to forgive them too? When someone is utterly unrepentant and forgiving would seem like letting go of that last bit of power we're holding on to, because we know too well both the small and large ways that others can tread upon us. 
We know too well that others can take advantage of our generosity. At what point do we say enough? At these moments when I ask these questions, I need to remember the words of C.S. Lewis, who said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I am a sinner of God's own redeeming. So the flip side is, so are those who hurt me. Wow, this is hard, isn't it? I find forgiveness to be a place we have to revisit time and time again. We pray for the ability to forgive those who have hurt us. We also need to pray that God would help us to forgive ourselves of some of the mistakes and regrets and hurts that we have and we have made. Forgiveness is a daily work. It is ongoing. It comes neither easily nor without deep and soul-shaking ponderings. It's hard. It comforts me, however, to know that God is not done with me yet, that I am still being transformed into the creature that God intends me to be, one that will one day learn to forgive more fully and generously. If you visit the gravesite of Ruth Bell Graham, wife of Billy Graham in Charlotte, you'll find a simple granite headstone with an inscription that she requested End of construction. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Ruth said, what a marvelous image for the Christian life, a work under construction until we go to be with God. That's what I want as my epitaph. Corey Ten Boom, a Christian writer and public speaker, shared her own experience with forgiveness. She was sent to a concentration camp during World War II when it was discovered that her family in the Netherlands were hiding Jews in their home. She writes, it was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947, so just a few years after her imprisonment, that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat the next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. 
and again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner, and I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. What she experienced, Corrie ten Boom, is what one other woman whose son was killed in the Manchester Arena suicide attacks in England described when she said, forgiveness became the vehicle I used to stay within my own humanity. Forgiveness is a vehicle I used to stay within my own humanity because forgiveness frees us. Our habits have power and we come to be known by the habits we develop. Jesus advised Peter that forgiveness needed to become a habit, something that was ingrained. Shall we forgive seven times, he said? No, 77. Over and 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 over until we stop counting and just automatically do it because it has become ingrained, a habit. I've been shown so much mercy. So much mercy. More mercy than I can fathom. Higher instances of mercy than there are numbers to express. And so have you. Mercy, 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 all over the place, raining down upon us daily. And that's what this passage is about. Mercy. Extravagant, ridiculous, over-the-top mercy for you and for me from God. So the obvious point is this. Shouldn't we pass along that mercy to those who have hurt us? This is why we forgive. We forgive to show mercy to others. We give our love 
we give our prayers, we give our forgiveness so that we can show mercy to the world around us. There is no magic formula to determine what forgiveness should look or feel like to you. Instead, today, I invite you to just sit for a while in the discomfort and the complexity of what Jesus is asking us to do, because it is uncomfortable and it is complex. Jesus, like he loves to do, is basically upending the basic structures of how we negotiate relationships, because faith above all else is about relationships, our relationship with God, and our relationship with others, and even our relationship with ourselves. So how many times are we willing to forgive one another? And how many times are we willing to forgive ourselves? When we forgive, God wipes the stains of our sins away too. It's a journey that's going to be hard, my friends, perhaps the hardest thing we will ever do. But it is a journey that will bring us healing, release from bondage and burdens, and peace. So thanks be to God for giving us a means through which we can choose, because it is a choice. We don't have to forgive, but it is what God commands. Thank God for giving us a choice to choose whole wholeness. Wholeness. Amen. <laughs>